These tools are for you to use. I'm Dave Marr, a comedian who survived a coma and woke up to read his own Facebook eulogies. And welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My guest on the podcast this week is Alex Stone. Alex Stone is an incredible stand-up comedian. He wrote and co-created the movie show on Sci-Fi. You can find out more about him at the links in the show notes. Also important to note that Alex was a few years behind me at the same high school in Cincinnati, Sycamore High School. So you'll hear us reference that. That is what Sycamore is. That's what we're talking about. Alex was very open and vulnerable in this episode. I'm really grateful for that. He's also just a super smart, entertaining, thoughtful guy. So I'm really excited for you to hear this. Um, In addition to following him, You can follow me at the links in the show notes. You can sign up for my weekly newsletter, Hella Immaculate, and you can support the show in one of two ways. First, well, I don't know if this is first, but you could go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Dave Marr to give some financial support. I have recently revamped the Patreon so you can sign up at the $3 level to get fun little bonuses, or you can get the full extended episodes at the $6 level, all the way up to the Pigeon Level subscribers uh, currently, who are Katie Llewellyn, Susie Carroll, Kurt Chang, and Fred Fidawa. You can get your name shouted out every episode if you're one of those. So the other way you can support the show is pretty simple. Just tell people about the show. I would love if you did that, but most importantly, I'm just grateful that you're here with me right now and Alex. So enjoy this episode with Alex Stone. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatown. When I'm in Shatown, I treat it like What do you hope happens when you die? Um I hope that uh there's uh, a form of consciousness uh waiting. I don't know what it is. Um I don't, yeah, just awareness, consciousness, feeling. I don't know. I just want, I don't want to open my eyes, but I want to be aware that I exist. Some form of existence, I guess, is a better way to say it. A consciousness that's continued from this one right now. Yeah. I've gotten into, because when I was a kid, I had um, like really bad anxiety about dying where I would like wake up in the middle of the night. I don't even know if I was asleep, but I would just have like this feeling of like this blackness that would just grow and grow and like envelop me. And it would just like overwhelm it. It's like the, the feeling of non-existence or non-consciousness. And I would run into my mom's bedroom and I'd wake her up and I'd be like, I, I, I don't want to die. I just like would put that on her in the middle of the night. And so... <laughs> <laughs> just like wake her up out of a sound sleep a- another human being that also doesn't want to and uh, <laughs> like, comfort me please um so she one day took me to uh was i was raised jewish she took me to uh temple shalom in cincinnati i don't know if you ever went there for a no. bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah uh and to the rabbi was like hey he's like really having a hard time with the thought of dying and death and he's like freaking out. Could you talk to him and like tell him what we believe and kind of comfort him? And I'll never forget. 
it, this wasn't exactly how he put it, but he was like, oh, yeah, we don't believe that anything happens. It's just kind of over. And I was like, you piece of shit. Like, <laughs> even if that, it, and it is the truth, but I feel like you have to lie or couch it to, a, like, where's your compassion to this child who's freaking out? But anyway, I then like would like searched out other religions as a kid because I was like, well, this fuck this, this is this yeah, is stupid. This one's a dead end. So yeah, this isn't leading anywhere positive, uh, <laughs> right? So I the point I was making before was like I've gotten shit from my Christian friends where I was like I would prefer like a Christian hell to nothing like that consciousness, and I think it's because I was not raised to fear it. I just view it as existence it's a just an uncomfortable existence. place yeah but you're yeah. you're there you know there's I've other little, people presumably yeah. i've seen little nicky you know you're hanging out you're cutting it up <laughs> it's, it's, it's not all bad uh so just something i just want there to be something as mm-hmm. i think that's my fear is nothing it well the the rabbi thing is so such a bummer because my basically like cohen brothers filtered experience of judaism is that like Uh you're taken to the temple and you're given some sort of like jewish cohen that like Uh you've never unraveled and that soothes you constantly you know he like explains something in some sort of obtuse way but instead it sounds like very uh bureaucratic and kind of like oh yeah uh no it's like yeah, we caught him on the way to lunch. Like he's just like, he's like, oh yeah, it's yeah, nothing. So I mean, I'm I'm running a little bit late. He's just like cast aside, brushed off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No yeah. wisdom, no comfort, no like. Hey, go read this verse or look this up. Right. I think yeah, just nothing. And he was a good guy. Like I also remember him being a good guy. Like he wasn't an asshole, but just really abandoned me in that moment. Have you thought about funeral planning, like things you would want at your funeral or things you would definitely not want, people, you know, guest list, any sort of party, accoutrement, you know, locations, anything like that? I, uh, not like in, uh, you know, I haven't written anything down. I used to, I had a joke for a little while about and it's the thing that I do want is I want a long funeral procession. Like a, I want <laughs> to be, I want you to be pulled over and be like, holy shit. Like I, who was this guy that died? Uh, I want like a lot of people to be very sad, I think is what I want. Uh, Cause my dad is one of those guys that's like, I want it to, let's make it a party and just we're telling stories and everyone's hugging and it's cheer. And I want just like that deathly silent one woman is crying. Everyone is just so, so supremely sad that I am gone from their lives. Mm-hmm. It's very selfish, but it makes me feel, uh, <laughs> I don't know. My existence is valid. Have you been to a party funeral? Not. I, I My dad's dad, my grandfather, had a bit of a party vibe, but I don't know how much of it is that he died in uh like it was it was pre-covid but it was like he died seven months before they buried him 
because um, I think it was like New England, the ground has to thaw. It was like a whole oh my god thing. So we went, we went up there, and it was people were sad. His uh, my dad's oldest brother read a thing that was you know his voice shook, and you know there were moments of somber moments, but it had like a <laughs> thing you're thinking of it in terms of like performance notes. You're like he hit the right uh, yeah. the right spots. The voice he was shaking it. in the right yeah. spot. He went up. He went down. He really. <laughs> He had the room, you know, everyone was yeah, engaged. Yeah, yeah. Uh, worked through check drop really nicely. Uh, <laughs> but it had more of a upbeat vibe to it. People were laughing. But I don't know how much of that was like, you know, they had mourned him privately already. Um, right. That makes sense as a way to do it. Because I, I think this party funeral idea, I mean, I've heard some people describe events that are like, okay, that actually does sound really nice. But it seems to me like a bit of a white whale that doesn't really yeah. exist. Like, what? I, I mean, I've never been to one. So it feels mm-hmm. very pipe dreamy. Yeah. I've often heard, I, I don't know how much that is like from stand up. Like, I've heard that bit a lot of like, I want my head. I think Nick Swardson had one on his first half hour special where it's like, I want my head to pop out of a thing. And Daniel Tosh had one. He wanted Karch Karai to spike his head. That's the line I remember. Maybe confusing bits. But I think maybe- Who's Karch Karai? He was like a sand beach volleyball player in like the <laughs> 90s. <laughs> I remember because I had to look it up after I heard that joke. I was like, I had yeah. the same moment. of like, who, the, who is that? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if- yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you in a roundabout stumbly way of like, it may just be a no. comedy thing. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Is there- Okay, so you have the long funeral procession. You have people really weeping. Mm-hmm. Any other elements that you can think of that you'd like to throw in there? I like music. Is I like when music is involved. Um, I I don't know what song I would like played. I went to my my aunt passed away last year, two years ago. It had to been two years ago, and she. I didn't know this, but her favorite song was Country Road by John Denver. And it's not a song that I like. I don't like, I will skip that song. I'll yeah. turn the station. But they played it. And I mean, I just, I wept. I wept and wept and wept. I thought, I was like, this is the most beautiful song in the world. Right. And um, it just, it was in, I saw it in a whole new context. And so, yeah, I often thought some music, some song that is important to me. There is something nice about that context. Like, I think one of the things that I've been enjoying about music uh, recently, which sounds like an insane sentence to say, um, Uh I don't know, but like, is, but is, uh, I mean, the thing that's nice about a funeral, you're forced to sit through the whole song. So it's like, if someone says, oh, listen to this Enya song. All uh-huh. of a sudden, I'm like listening to the parts of the song more right. than I would if it just came on. Uh-huh. And similarly, at a funeral, it's like someone saying, "Like, you're re- check this song out." You know what I yeah. mean? Like, especially if it's very intentionally chosen. And so mm-hmm. I can see, and kind of anytime something's presented like that, or you're watching a music documentary and you're like so immersed in the person's life that's like, no matter how bad it is you're kind of like you see what people like about this music and like start to enjoy and so it's like i guess that is kind of the benefit of funeral music is you're like forced to sit there and be like you know appreciate the the craft of Mm -hmm. country road yeah 
And I think, yeah, I think it's that thing where you kind of hear all of it for the first time and how it makes someone feel, even if it doesn't make you feel that way. Mm -hmm. There are some country songs. What's the, what's the worst piece of art that has ever made you cry? (laughs) Do you know offhand? Oh, wow. The worst piece of art that's, well, something that you're like, this is objectively bad, but you, you got me, you got me good. (laughs) Uh, that's man. I'm sure there's better there's better examples of this, but the first thing that I think of that probably I would like stand by on some level is uh-huh. there was a Christian ska band called five iron frenzy. Oh, I'm familiar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, uh-huh. and they had some song about just like, you know, the, the unconditional love of God that in my, in my 1990 yeah. Toyota Camry driving <laughs> on Pfeiffer road, yeah. uh, I was like, I was, uh, yeah, I started crying. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I think most people would <laughs> say that's frenzy. a pretty that's a pretty yeah. bad one. What about you? I, I uh, a song that gets says will get me is you're familiar with the pop country artist Kenny Chesney? Yeah. He has a song, uh, There Goes My Life. I don't have kids, but it's about him having a having a child. It's about a a character having a child mm-hmm. when he's very young. And he's like, there goes my life, Dave. My life is over because I knocked up my wife. And then there's a second verse. And in the third verse, the child is grown, going off to college. And he's watching as she drives away in his car. And he goes, you know what? There goes my life. And there's a couple lines in that song where he talks about how much he loves just this fictional little girl. Uh, and I just like, you got me. <laughs> you got me, Ken. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have kids. I'd like to, but it gets me. Uh, it gets me each time. Parent and kid stuff is like, like dad stuff is very easy mm-hmm. to manipulate yeah. mom stuff. Yeah. I so thought, no, sh- no shame in that. Okay. You see the movie. I love you, man. Uh, not, I love, ye- no, not I love you, man. Sorry. Tag tag. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I got that. <laughs> I don't know what happened. No, but go yeah. on. So you know what I'm talking about? That movie, it was like with Ed Helms and... Um, oh, I know of the movie. I never saw yeah. it. So it's they, it's from the trailer, you're like, this is weird. It's these adult men who have played this ser- super serious game of tag. And I do you care if I spoil the movie for Oh, you? no, not at all. Not at all. So it's they're all old and it's like they're kind of just... No one's heart is in it anymore. It's like we have to do this. But Ed Helms' character is like really, he's like, no, guys, we have to keep this. It keeps it connects us. It keeps us together. And you find out that the reason that he wants to do this is because he has terminal cancer. And so he wants one more go round with his friends. And so you find that out with the friends deep into the movie because he, I think he collapses and they all have to go to the hospital and they find out, you know, he's very sick. And there's this tense moment where everyone doesn't know what to say because uh, they had kind of grown apart they had fought and now they're back together in the same room and to break the tension someone makes a joke they make makes fun of ed helms in his hospital bed and it's a bad movie it's not good but that one moment got me of like oh that's how i would connect and relate Mm -hmm. that's how i would Mm -hmm. handle that moment and it like put me there and it i cried in the theater it really got me and the rest of the wow. movie, I was like, I should maybe get up and leave. This is not good. <laughs> <laughs> and that one moment, I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> Ooh. 
Well, that's a pretty decent transition into the next like sort of premise I have for you, which is mm-hmm. to relive one moment. And I'm assuming that watching okay. Tag in the theaters would not be that moment. But so the uh-huh. premise is you're in the afterlife. Yeah. And one of the features is you get to fully relive one memory. You're dropping back down like into your body. You're experiencing it again. Yeah. It's not that the rest of your memories get wiped. It's not that you get trapped in this one memory, but you do have to choose just one that mm-hmm. you can relive whenever you want, however yeah. many times you want. Um, This one, I think it's because we're in the, the tag headspace is popping into my mind, <laughs> which try and get through this one without crash. <laughs> uh, I had um, uh, about 10, 10 years ago, like 10 Ten and a half years ago, a friend of mine, uh, Scott Morrison, was uh, killed in Afghanistan, uh, and y- you know that's very sad and uh, awful. But the year before that, right before he was deployed overseas, my friend Brandon got married in New Haven, Michigan. New Haven, Michigan, right on Lake Michigan in a little beach town. We all got a, a big house there for the wedding, so it was like all of these childhood friends in one house. What now I realized to be the last time. And it was, I, I don't know if it was the World Cup or the Olympics, but the US uh, scored this game-winning goal where Tim Howard threw the ball, literally threw it to Landon Donovan, who was streaking down the side and scored this go-ahead goal as time expired. And uh, it was enough to get them to the next round of the tournament. And we're all hung over in the living room of this house watching that uh, go down. And we're all, we all played soccer. That's how we all knew each other, largely. We played soccer together growing up. So we're big fans. And they score this really emotional goal. And we all just dogpile onto the floor and are just like hugging and cheering. And it's like half of it's like, oh, isn't this so silly that we're dogpiling like we're at the game? And it's just... I don't know why that one flooded to me, but it's just a really nice memory. Uh, and I I don't know if that would be the one that I'd like to relive every day, but that would be, if that was the one, it'd be okay. Yeah. was And so this was before the wedding, obviously. This was before the wedding. This was like the day before. Because I remember we watched the next game on phones at the wedding because the wedding happened <laughs> the same time as the next game. So yeah, it was, I think the day, day or two before the wedding. Okay. And you all knew each other from playing soccer. Yeah. I knew Brandon from that, who was the guy that got married. Scott was younger than us. Um, and I don't know how he came into our lives exactly. I think someone, he, he went to Sycamore, you know, he's a Sycamore kid. Um, yeah. So it might've been school. Was he, um, was he in the military at that time? Yeah. He, do you remember, this is getting real inside baseball, uh, Brandon Honert? I think he was maybe in your grade. I may be wrong about I that. I don't. The name sounds kind of familiar, but I Will don't. Davies is a fallen hero, so maybe you okay, should. Okay, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but he, he died in Afghanistan, and uh, that prompted, his death prompted Scott to enlist. Uh, wow. And so... He got in and then here we are. But yeah. So was he on a, was he on a, what's it called? Like a leave or something to be at this wedding? 
Yeah. So I, okay. it was, I think, I think I had the timeline, right? It, you go to basic training and get trained how to be a soldier, get mm-hmm. your hair cut, they give you a shirt. Right. And then you come back before you find out where you're going to be deployed to. So I think it's it that happened. kind of moment. Yeah. I think it happened right in there. And when you realized he was killed or, you know, died in Afghanistan, Afghanistan, you said, right? Yeah. Mm. Okay. When did you like, I'm interested in the recontextualization of the memory as the last time you were all together. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. How did that happen? Like, when did you realize that? Honestly, Dave, I think right now on this podcast. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, but cause we did, it wasn't the last time we were all together. I mean, it might've been like everyone was there cause it was a wedding, but there was like one big party before the send off. But that was like, you know, his family was there and it's like, right. there are different emotions attached to that memory of like, oh my God, he's going to war. Sure, uh, sure, sure. His mom is real sad, but this was just so like unfiltered raw bliss of, you know, just on the floor laughing and happy because some guy scored a goal. And how does the dog pile? Like, I, I don't think I've ever been spontaneously lifted enough to uh-huh. uh, be in a dog pile. Like, was, <laughs> was it, was it yeah. ironic at a certain point and then it just became sincere or was it just like, this was just our friend group. We would pop up. We happened to, it was a tight space. We popped into each other and we just went with it. You know what I mean? I think it was ironic. I think my friend Zach tackled maybe me or maybe like somebody like, ah, I'm going to tackle you. Like, you know, yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. A bit. yeah. And then everyone like piled on. And then once you're in a dog pile, I mean, it, it's kind of fun to just be <laughs> just <laughs> laughing. You're very present and like, this is crazy. And um, yeah. It was just fun. It was like the high of the game, you know, you know, the team we wanted won. And then yeah. Did you remember, did, do you remember the moment of the dog pile ending? Is there like a, everybody kind of looking in each other's eyes and like awkwardness and like, let's kind of brush ourselves. Like, how do we get out of this? Or was it just like, just, ah, oh, good, good times guys. Well, I got to go to work and uh, straighten my tie and my, <laughs> yeah, my business yeah. suit. Uh, no, I think cause I think because it's like so intertwined with the game, it's like, we were still riding that high of like, yeah, like it meant that they were going to go to the next round of the tournament. So everyone was excited. So it was like, I think people were still, you know, we kind of got up and we're like, high five. It wasn't like the celebration ended. Right, 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 right. Yeah. The joy lingered a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I didn't expect to talk about this. This is a wild one. Yeah. I, uh, it's a wild memory to pop back in. Why do you say that? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm proud that I've found uh-huh. something that you didn't expect to talk about. As, as we've talked about you being such a carefully planned performer, uh-huh. so uh, that <laughs> yeah. feels like a success. But what, what, it, what makes you like say that? I just, I hadn't thought about it, and when I first thought of it, I was like. I might cry retelling. Like, I think it was just because we had talked about tag. Like, you know, it is, it's a happy memory. And I'm like, it makes me smile to think about it. But, you know, it is wrapped up in a lot of sadness that I don't visit often. So I think maybe that's what it is. Like, it's, it's a thing that, you know, I'll only 
I don't only think about him on his birthday, but you know, when I'm like with those friends again and we're cheersing or whatever. Yeah. It's just not. So basically I stumbled into like a room of your house that you're like, I didn't realize that one was unlocked. Uh, Can you come back out? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Let's get at No, we can stay in this room. It's just as it's like a child who died. It's just as we left it. It, The beds, the beds, (laughs) beds not been made. The book is still open. Yep. Yep. What's your coma? Which okay. I just mean metaphorically as a moment of transformation where um, you were one person before and you mm-hmm. were another person after, or maybe like not that everything had to change, but something was stripped away or um, yeah. Yeah. I think it probably just to stay in this room. It's, I think I've talked about, before a little bit of he when scott died i was i've not said this before ever this is an exclusive when i <laughs> the, oh the, the, the the ego of that this is an exclusive. A, a, a sycamore high school <laughs> friend military fallen hero exclusive <laughs> this uh it's very embarrassing i when i got the phone call I have never said this to another human being. When I got the phone call that he died, I didn't know that was who was calling me. My friend Brandon's mom called me and I was living in the basement of my parents' house. It was 10 years ago. So I was 25, 24, maybe 24 living in the basement of my parents' house still. And I was jerking off. I was watching porn and my friend Brandon's mom called me and I ignored it. Cause obviously, and, uh, then she left a message that was like teary and was like, Hey, I, you could, could you just really call Brandon right now? He just really needs to talk to you. And I was like, okay, this is weird. And then I called back and found out that way. Um, so I say that part, I, th- I was for a second, I was like, why did I just say that out loud? I, to paint a picture of where I was, where I was, is that I was 24. I was doing comedy like passively, uh, where it was, I was doing pretty well. You know, I had like friends who were like, you're funny. Do you want to open for me in Appleton, Wisconsin? And so I was like, this is cool. But I wasn't, I had no real direction other than I want to keep doing it. You know, I didn't have a work ethic or, I just kind of was floating along on the wind of this will work out however it does. And then so you're he, literally jacking off in your parents' basement, but you were metaphorically yes. jacking off in your parents' basement as well. Precisely. Yes, okay. Yes. <laughs> so so he passes away and it's very sad and it's also the first person that my grandma died when I was in like I think first grade or kindergarten. And that before then was the only person who was close to me who had passed. So I had no like real relationship with death mm-hmm. or so I, I feared it as we've talked about and I kind of knew of its existence, but it was at, you know, an arm's reach. But this kind of was like, Hey, he's younger than you were. Uh, you, you could very easily have been him. And what have you done with your time? Um, and so it made me like re-examine things and be like, you got to start taking a lot of things seriously and like working hard. I moved out of my parents' house like a couple months later. 
I decided I'd also quit every job I had ever had up until that point. Um, was like I, I needed like a thing that I could like start and finish to just show myself that I could do it. I, I had dropped out of high school, you know, like literally everything I had walked away from. So I ran the the Flying Pig Marathon. I was like, I'm going to do that for mm. him. But it was like a thing, a goal I could set and complete. Um, and then a year or so after that, I moved to Chicago to kind of start taking comedy more seriously. And like that, it spurred, you know, every change after it. But that was like a real flashpoint for me. Yeah. The, it's so the marathon feels so out of nowhere almost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was it, or was, is there more of a, was it just like, Oh, this is kind of one of those bucket list, big project things to do. I had like, I mean, I, like I said, I had played soccer and so I, you run Mm -hmm. a lot in that. And in junior high school, I ran cross country and enjoyed running. I also, this is, if you can relate to some version of this, when things are like really, really like peak level stress, I have this urge to just run, like to just like literally fight or flight, just flight, just like run mm-hmm. away. Um, and it usually makes me feel better to go on and like an actual literal run. And so there was some of that mixed up in there. I, I don't, I honestly don't know how I, landed on that but i was like this seems like a thing that is not easy to do it will take work to be able to do it and it's a thing i'll want to quit but i can't and then uh i don't know it also felt like a thing that i could do for him people do stuff like that right i guess it's just it struck me as a more arbitrary because you said i've i had quit every job i'd ever had so i needed and i thought you were going to say some way to consistently make money. And then, <laughs> and then you said, so I ran a marathon. I'm like, how's this dude making a living? But now I get it. it mm. is, okay. But so still to yeah. power through moments of quitting, even when you're mm-hmm. seeking it out and aware of it, um, is that, were you still like through the marathon running on the fumes of his death and like, like that sort of carpe diem energy. And then doing that with the marathon allowed you to like have that muscle memory more or like, at what point does that fuel run out when you're up against a big obstacle? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. I will say that it used to be that I would consciously think about him and it more right like when something was hard or i would have this is so trivial but like a bad set in chicago or whatever you know i would be like no keep working keep going and like he would be fresh in my mind and now you know i still have struggles as as does anyone but it's not the first thing that i think about of don't stop because you owe it to scott or you know think about this thing that motivated you and this person that you cared about that's gone i mean i still have his like picture on a bulletin board but it's not on the forefront the way that it was so i don't know when it runs out but 
doesn't the furnace doesn't burn as hot as it used to but it's still there right well it feels like i don't know if this if continuing this furnace metaphor is is gonna, <laughs> is gonna work or not but it feels like yep. you needed a real hot fire just to start the furnace and now mm-hmm. like however hot it burns at least you have this kind of you know how to complete things now you know how mm-hmm. to h- hang in so yeah. maybe you don't need the um conscious memory of the original motivation as much mm-hmm. at some point like yeah i think that's right and at some point it started to become like important to me in a way that it wasn't right before right you know? right 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 where yeah yeah I, that would be pretty that. brutal if at yeah. the end of a life you're like, well, I, you know, I, I had a life well lived, but it was really all just to honor uh, somebody uh-huh. else. You know, it was yeah. like, it's like, what about this? Were you present for that? Did you enjoy You're like, I know what I'm supposed to say, but uh, it, it really was kind of perfunctory for the last <laughs> 50 years or so. Just kind of going through the motions there at the end. It was muscle memory for most of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paint your specific hell. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, I, it's, geez, this is good audio. (laughs) I (laughs) think that it, and also I have no idea how to edit. So, you know, good, good call. I'm, I'm completely clueless. I, I don't know how to eliminate anything. So. The last, however long of this podcast should be just taking deep breaths and whoo, yeah. boy, yeah. yeah. Complimenting your questions, uh, not answering. I want, I was, I was like searching for something that's more meaningful or I don't know, better, but I think this is like bringing it a little full circle to text exchanges we've had of, I think my hell is performing full performing in a room full of people and in the back of that room is someone who either by spite or by admiration i want to think that i am good Mm. at comedy (laughs) and in the moment i can feel that they if i was them standing in the back of the room they have every right to believe that i am not does that make sense where it's not even that it's no hit me with that again this might be, we might just be examining my anxiety in real time. But when I, so if I'm on stage and I'm not doing well, uh, if I was in the back of a room watching someone that I had never seen before, or I was judging someone and they weren't doing a good job, mm-hmm. I feel like it would be my right to be like, ah, maybe they're not so good at this. So right, that is right, right, right. my hell is that someone, just that feeling that's hard to articulate, but feeling someone judging you as not good at a thing that you feel like you are very good at or good at or take pride in. So it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the audience, except in so much as they are slightly contributing to the bad set. Yeah. They are their scenery. They're just (laughs) stage decorations. This, this is how the production has to be, uh, perform yeah you need to be in order for you to fail you need these people giving you crickets and and who is the it is it worse to have it be by spite or by admiration spite spite yeah 
because you hate yourself a little bit for wanting it too, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. I hate myself. I hate that this person that I'm like, I don't particularly respect or admire. Yeah. They're better at this than I am or that I'm not good at it. Yeah. Adeline and is that alive. because... <laughs> Is it is it because they are particularly powerful, like they're a like they're a shitty booker, or are they just a really overconfident? Um, I hate using open micer as like a derogatory right. term, but like uh-huh. for lack of a better for shorthand sake, a a an overconfident open micer. Yeah, which it's all, is it's all of it. I mean, it, it's all bad. I don't know that there is a worse <laughs> version for me. It's just all okay. so bad. Just thinking about yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe if it's someone, maybe it's an overconfident open micer is worse than a booker. Cause I, I mean, if it's a booker that I respect, that would hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. They would think that I'm not good. Mm-hmm. But if it's a co- comedian, if it's someone that I think is just overconfident, a little arrogant that I don't think is good. It and doubles down on the spite because you're like, why do I care about this person? Yes. Yeah, yeah. This shouldn't bother me. Uh, it, I've had sets where part of why I was having such a bad time in New York is I was doing a lot of colleges. And these objectively, the some of the worst shows that I have ever done where I'm bombing harder than I've ever bombed in the history of my entire stand-up career where it's like I'm in a I'm in a lunchroom and people yeah. like are like what and or <laughs> there's literally two kids that just they're like what's happening we'll watch you and I'm just talking to two people where those were easier to deal with than a a, a decent show where someone was in the back that I didn't like or respect and I didn't feel like I had a good enough set to show them that I was good at this or better at it than they were which i don't think is healthy it's a, not no, a healthy way to do no. it no yeah the, the the and and it's you toss it off but better at it than they were is so essential there for the spite yeah. it's like uh-huh. it's like oh my god like if you don't respect this person and you don't you you don't share the same taste at the very least or right. Let's say your assessment is right, which probably it is, and you don't share the same skill level, and you're like, uh-huh. "Why am I trying to prove?" Right. Like I'm, I tour with the X Games, and I'm seeking <laughs> out neighborhoods uh-huh. where kids are learning to right. ride their bikes and right, pretending right, right. that. And I realize how uh, self-aggrandizing this metaphor yeah. is, I get and it, yet I it is one hundred percent. It really is. I was thinking that. I was like, that's a good one. That's a really good one. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I always try to check myself when it feels like I'm really like gassing myself up. Because, you know, again, can't can't be too uh, comfortable and, uh, uh-huh. you know, satisfied with your own, your own yeah. work, you know? It's apt. But I think it's like, it's insecurity. And so that is like a feeling insecure is a, a that's a hellish experience. I mean, like all of the anxiety that comes with that. And yeah. I'm just like, I should be secure enough in myself for happy or confident or content, all of these words that I can have a bad set and leave and be like, it's okay. You know, I'll get, I'll take the baseball player's approach. I struck out, but it's a long, I, I'll fail 70% of the time and be in the Hall of Fame. The other baseball player's approach I think about is uh, like owning a tool. Like once you've demonstrated 
that you yeah. can take a walk or hit for power or something. It's like, you know, yeah, no, you can do that. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, you, you might be, your timing might be a little off or you might be um, struggling to get back to that place, but it's not gone forever. Yeah. Do you have, have you ever read the book Moneyball? Yes. So it's kind of the book that got me into baseball. Oh, really? It's good. It's yeah. very good. Movie's also good. Mm-hmm. In that, uh, they talk about Billy Bean was like this five-tool prospect who's an incredible player, but like was ruined by his own uh, neurosis and his lack of confidence. And he just couldn't perform at a high level. But there's a specific uh, moment in time where he, I think it was Lenny Dykstra. He was roommates with Lenny Dykstra in the minor leagues. And there was another pitcher whose name I forget, but ultimately I think went on to be in the hall of fame was in the minor leagues on like a rehab assignment. And Billy Bean is sitting in the dugout watching him pitch and is terrified because he knows that he's probably going to go up there and fail, but he's sitting next to Lenny Dykstra who is kind of an idiot and is like overconfident and is just sitting there without a care in the world and is like, I'm going to knock one out on, off this guy. Just like that brazen confidence that is like, I don't, I, I got it. I got it. Where I think yeah. about that all the time. Like, is it better to be that overconfident guy in the back of the room that you hate? Like, are they living a better life than we are? Also, that's another part of it. You know, <laughs> there, is it better to sit in the dugout and be like, I got it. I'm going to do great. Because I actually want to have a good career. Sure. I mean, I get what you're saying. I just, I really refuse to believe that. I think that's A, a yeah. little bit of a tool that sort of heady, self-aware people use to whip themselves. Uh-huh. And I think... I. I may be projecting, I may be wishful thinking, but I really think that there's a hollowness. Like, I feel like somewhere those people know that, uh-huh. and I wonder how many, how many names you've been stepping around as we're, as we're talking here. <laughs> Cause I definitely have a few in my mind where I'm like, there's no way that guy is uh-huh. genuine. There's some hole right. there that is yeah. not being filled. And all I can do to keep my sanity is hope that it never gets filled. Mm-hmm. I can't, can I tell you? That's all that we have. Is that, yeah. yeah. All that we is have their is their unhappiness. Right. Yeah. Is that, that they are unhappy. <laughs> Which, if they're not, yeah, we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks for us. That is the show. Thank you so much for listening. Share. This is your afterlife with your friends. Go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr to support the show and follow Alex at the links in the show notes. And I will talk to you next week. Until then, never forget, you are a mist. Impossible, you can do miracles, miracles, you can do them. Have faith, you are human, only human, and human beings they do miracles.